We're going to be in uh, Revelation chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 12, unto the angel of the church of Pergamos. But let me just say by way of announcements, I don't have any announcements, um, which is good. I mean, but uh, Wednesday night, we finished the book of Numbers. If you're not given a coming out on Wednesday night, you can, you know, check out the live stream on Facebook. Um, we're augmenting our Revelation study. You know, I, I think Revelation could be a two-year study. It really could be, and, and beyond that. Because uh, I'm looking at next week, and I'm thinking, how am I going to get through that in one week? And I'm probably already thinking about, you know, church number four might, might need, to need two weeks of treatment, maybe church number five as well. We'll see how it goes. Um, so I was hoping, you know, do the seven in seven consecutive weeks. But if, I ha- if Wednesday night will take some of the pressure off, some of the things I feel like I have to, these excursions in the Old Testament that I feel like I have to cover, we can cover some of them on Wednesday night. Like I say, augment our study in the book of the Revelation. So without any further ado, let's, let's before we pray, we'll get the, uh, the reading and the hearing blessing out of the way. And <laughs> Out of the way. What a strange thing to say about a blessing. Uh, Revelation chapter 2, verse 12, And to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, These things saith he which hath the sharp sword with two edges. I know thy works and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is. And thou holdest fast my name, and hast not denied my faith, even in those days where an Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was slain among you, where Satan dwelleth. But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication. So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. May God bless the reading of his word to our understanding. Let's pray. Father, as we, you know, unpack this and drill down, we pray for a spirit of understanding. You wrote it for a reason. You're trying to reveal Jesus Christ to us. And that's what we want, too. Father, we want to see Jesus. And we want to understand what he's saying to his church is what he's saying to us. So give us that spirit to receive. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Under the angel of the church of Pergamos, any guesses? Uh, you wouldn't guess it. I mean, it's, you know, written in ancient. Ephesus means darling. So we talked about that. Smyrna means myrrh. Pergamum, which is probably the more correct pronunciation. Uh, gamos means, you, you know, uh, gamos, uh, like polygamy, uh, you know, monogamy. Bigamy, it's got to do with marriage, right? Pergamos could mean thoroughly married, but the per in before it, it's kind of has a negative connotation like perversion or pervert or perturbation or, you know, a, a kind of, so some people will say, well, this is like a, a negative marriage. And certainly it is. So if we're looking at the, 
As we've gone through this, Ephesus is the church of the apostles. Smyrna, myrrh, church, the church of suffering. Uh, and both of them had their pluses. Um, Smyrna doesn't have any minuses. You're a suffering church. We know that you know, he who suffers ceases from sin. It says uh, that in uh, the book of Peter, First Peter, I believe. And now here we are in the third church, Pergamus, thoroughly married, but it's a negative kind of thing. And this is where the church and state marry. Is that a good thing? We wish for that here in America. A church uh, married the state here in America. It's just a pagan church. You know, our schools are free from religion. No, they're not. They're just free from the Christian religion. Uh, many other religions, like secular humanism, uh, the, 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 the religion, if you ask me, of, of evolution is taught, uh, but not Christian religion. I remember Suze told me, you know, she was teaching uh, abstinence in school because uh, someone put forth a bill in, in the legislature. Uh, so you could teach abstinence in public schools. And she did that for a while when she was working with a, a ministry uh, First Step Pregnancy Resource Center when she was the director. She'd go to schools and she'd tell them why abstinence works, why it's a good selection, why it's a good idea. But don't ever mention the G word. <laughs> Couldn't say God and talk about abstinence. Not allowed. So you had to go on, you know, well, you know, there'd be a swath of destruction and uh, sexually transmitted diseases and unwanted pregnancy and guilt. And, you know, she'd talk to the kids about, you know, uh, safe sex. Well, how do you put a condom around your heart? And she'd talk about these different things. But you could never mention God. Interesting, interesting. It's on our coins in God we trust. In our schools, God need not apply. We've kicked him out a long time ago. Well, here... It's a good thing. They, the church and the state married, right? AD, I, we put the start of this at A.D. 313. We'll find out it's not a good thing at all. Satan, if you can't beat him, join him. When the, he persecuted the church, the, the blood of the martyrs was the seed of the church. Church was growing in leaps and bounds. Every person you killed, how many more jumped up to take their place? And Satan thought, well, I'm trying to put this fire out by pouring gasoline on it, which hadn't been invented yet. But uh, <laughs> it wasn't working for him. 313, Constantine was the emperor of the Roman Empire, and he allegedly became a Christian. Whether he did or whether he did not, let the historians debate it. From all I can determine, I think not, but that's fine. Uh, so he became a Christian, and he did not pronounce Christianity as a state religion, but he stopped the persecution of Christians, and he was the emperor, and he was favorable towards Christians all of a sudden. And then a lot of people in courts, the, 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 the courts of, I'm not talking about where they make civil decisions, I'm talking about the palace, royalty. Uh, many people who were around him and stuff like that started learning the God talk pretty quick. Uh, because he, in 313, he uh, pronounced the Edict of Toleration, also called the Edict of Milan, where he made persecution against Christianity illegal. And so that's when I think where the church and the state first got married. This is the precursor to the Roman Catholic Church. And we'll look at that next week. And if that's offensive to you, 
uh, stay around for the week after because we're going to take, uh, take care of the Protestant church. And uh, listen, I'll offend everybody, okay? I'm the equal opportunity that way. Um, I have some things to say about the Catholic church because Jesus has some things to say about what I, I perceive as the Catholic church. And then next week, uh, I will say this about what he says to the Catholics. He has good things to say. The Protestant church is the church of Sardis, and I don't think he, that's not in chapter three. I don't think he has anything good to say. As a matter of fact, I'm sure he doesn't have anything good to say. So anyway, we'll, we'll offend everybody equally, like I say. I don't, I don't pick favorites. Just the next verse, the next verse, the next verse, the next verse. But here is the precursor to why he perceives as the Catholic Church. Um, this is um, the, place, the place is Pergamos. Again, you know, if you're following, it's like Ephesus. i got to do it this way. Ephesus, <laughs> Smyrna. Uh, uh, Pergamos, and it goes around clockwise, and they're all about 40, 50 miles apart, and it's an ancient postal route in what's today western Turkey. Then it was part of the Roman Empire. To the angel, or to the pastor of the church in Pergamos, write these things, okay? These things saith he which hath the sharp sharp sword with two edges. Cuts both ways is the idea. Of course, this is Jesus Christ from chapter 1, uh, and this is what he's uh, saying. Uh, I'm the one who has the sharp sword uh, with two edges. Okay, uh, what is that? It's the word of God, and that's Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. We can take um, that up another time. We've, I think we're very familiar with that. I know thy works, okay? Now, when God says, I know your works, is that a good thing or is that a bad thing? Well, it depends on your works. And I bad, if you're like me, good and bad. So Adam, you didn't do anything bad. Oh, anyone who knows me knows better than that. I don't keep long accounts. I say that. When I've done something wrong, I come to repentance and I get right with God. I don't want to let things fester and get worse and worse and worse. The, my, my healing is with God. My strength is with God. Uh, if we confess our sins, Hamalageo say the same thing about our sins that he says. What's that? Well, they're, they're sinful. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Why would I remain at odds with him? Let's just clear the air. So I do things wrong, and some of those things are works, and so he knows them, good and bad. He knows that I, I teach... Um, uh, at a church in uh, in central Maine. Does he know that? Yeah. Does he know that I study like uh, and try to prepare? Does he know my heart that I really con- am concerned with teaching truth? Yeah, he knows all that stuff. Does he know I have a propensity towards laziness or indifference or whatever? Does he know that I, I wrestle with pride? He knows all the stuff. He knows my works. He knows what I do. Um, d- does he know your works? Only all of them, all the time. I know thy works, and I also know where you live. Does he got to know where I, I live? Yeah. <laughs> does he know your email address? Oh, yeah, he does. Does he know, does he know your history on your, uh, on your phone, the things that you're uh, dallying and uh, looking at? Uh, yeah, he knows all that stuff. I know your works. I know where you dwell, even where Satan's seat is. Now that you're dwelling in a very negative place, but I know that. I know, I understand what life is like for you. Uh, so Pergamos is a, Escalapis worship is there. He's the father of, me, not the father of medicine, the god of medicine. Zeus is worshiped there. Say Zeus is worshiped all over the Roman Empire. Here is, he's got a, a, a throne, okay? Um, Zeus uh, had relations with a, I say 
like it happened, right? Uh, Zeus and in mythology, Zeus and Semele, and she was just a, a human being that he had relations with, and they had a child, Dionysius, also called Bacchus, the god of wine. This is a, a satanic stronghold. This is a place where satanic worship happens, okay? Like, like, oh, I don't know, New Orleans during Mardi Gras. There still is... There still is religious strongholds all over the world. Strongholds, isn't it? There are religious centers. Is that less offensive? Mecca, Jerusalem, the Vatican. Again, New Orleans. uh, Don't tell me Dionysius isn't worshipped in in New Orleans. I'll laugh at you. Um, There's still strongholds. There's still... Places of worship, places where, and at this time, you know, there weren't no atheists. They weren't no, (laughs) good English, Adam. There were no atheists uh, in this day. People, you know, if you were a non-believer, they'd think you were a fool. The only question of what God you worship. Well, here's one of the places, uh, even where Satan's seat is, I would suggest that's a stronghold. Listen, the strongholds in our life, we let Satan get a a toehold, it becomes a stronghold, and then it becomes a stranglehold. Are there parts of your life that you just think, oh, I'm never going to bring this under? Well, easy enough. God is, the Holy Spirit of God in your life is more powerful than any satanic. Maybe perhaps in some areas of our life we need help from a brother or a sister who are close to, to pray with us, to fast. To, but Satan does not have the right to have strongholds or strangleholds, or toeholds in your life. But he'll take whatever you give him. But here he's, he's living in this place where Satan's seat is. <laughs> so he shows up to go to work every day. I don't, I don't know where, you know, it talks about where Satan is. That, is it making reference to that, uh, that throne, that colossal throne of Zeus here? I, I don't know that. Uh, I know thy works and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is, and thou holdest fast my name. You're in a bad place. You're in dire straits. You're in a tough place to be a Christian, but you're holding fast my name. And I know that. I know, I know what you're doing. And I think that's a wonderful commendation. Would to God that he would say that of this church. Thou holdest fast my name. You're not ashamed to speak the name of Jesus Christ. You're not, you're, you know, you're not trying to be relevant. You're not trying to be groovy. You're not trying to be cool. You're not trying to go along to get along. You're standing out like a sore thumb, and you're holding fast my name and has not denied my faith. That's a wonderful commendation. Many people are denying. Uh, people who were faithful at one time are no more. It's the age of apostasy. People are leaving the church in droves. I can catalog them, I can tell you about them, I can, I'm not talking about the rank and file, people who attend church. I'm talking about people who preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, who aren't among the faithful anymore. But you, he says, you have not denied my name. Even in those days where an Antipas, my faithful martyr, who is slain among you where Satan dwells. Okay, who's Antipas? Nobody knows. So why is he talking about? Well, because Jesus knows. And this is unnamed guy. Jesus says, you know, I remember Anapath, 
He was faithful even to the point of death. Me and Sue were talking about this the other day. New administration coming, and she said, what are we going to do? Well, what we've always done. We're going to be faithful to God. Um, bring, come what may. The worst they can do is kill us. But I've made that choice a long time ago. Faithful in life, faithful in death. And I've, I joke about this all the time, which, but it's not really a joke, right? When somebody threatens you with death. <laughs> really? You're going to send me home to be with Jesus, huh? Well, you threaten me with a good time. What else you got? Is that, is that like I'm supposed to like shake in my boots? I'm not interested in dying violently. It might happen. I don't know. What are we going to do indeed? We're going to be faithful to God. And she, she was looking for a more better plan. Like, what are we going to do about this specific situation? What are we going to do about this? What are we going to do about this? And if you think it's going to be status quo, you haven't been paying attention very well. Is uh, it, You know, right now, the law of the land in America is if a homosexual couple comes to you and says, we want you to marry us, you have to do that. Has that happened during the last four years? No. Has anyone been prosecuted for that? I mean, not, not to my knowledge. Will it? 2021, you can bet. There's, there's no doubt about it. Will it happen here? I don't know. I know my determination. I know that I'm not going to go against the Word of God. Say, so what are you, a homophobe? Not at all. I just know what the Bible has to say about sex sin in general and homosexuality in, in particular. And I'm not, I'm not changing my opinion. I'll be in a past if I have to be, and if I die, I die. If I get thrown in jail, I can do prison ministry from the inside. It's all the same. We'll all have to go to jail. Well, maybe, maybe, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know what's coming. I mean, I really, really, really don't. Um, Susan Mohan, she wants me to have a good, thorough plan. I'm thinking, okay, let's, let's stop, let's pray, let's determine, but... I, I know in the general, but I don't know in the particular. I, I just, I just don't. Anapas, though, is a, it, it, we don't know anything about him. We know this: he died as a martyr, and his, Jesus knows him. We do know this: his name means against all. <laughs> now, I got to tell you something that's that's interesting to me because is that his real name? Don't make too much of it. It's Herod Anapas, so. You know what I mean, but against all, I mean, everyone was saying, "Hey, you gotta, you gotta go along, get along. You gotta do this. You gotta." And he's like, "Nope, nope, nope." Me and Jesus, we are a majority, and I'm gonna be faithful to him. And some will say, "Well, you'll die then," and he did. Being faithful does not secure you. You're not Teflon. Like I'm ten foot tall and bulletproof. Nobody can touch me. Which is. True, until God says, okay, it's your time to die, and he will let, like, he let Anapas be slain. But he was faithful, and that's what Jesus Christ is looking for. There's places all over the planet where what I'm doing now is against the law. Will it be against the law here? At some point, I'm sure that's going to happen. I mean, we're going to study the book that tells us that's going to happen. Will America be the last? I don't know. I don't think so. We're trending badly, but let's put that aside for now. Anapas, he was my faithful martyr. 
who was slain among you where Satan dwells. Hey, there's a price to be paid for living where you're living. And that price sometimes is, is, is death, is what Jesus is saying to this church of this, that's of this perverted marriage. But I have a few things against you. Okay, you've done the good things. Now he, he turns to this part of the report card. This is the part where you get a D, D minus. I have a few things against thee. Because thou hast them there that hold the doctrine of Balaam. Say, what is the doctrine of Balaam? We went over this and over this and over this because we talked about it in numbers and we went through the story of Balaam. We visited it when we looked at the book of Jude, okay? It was the way of Balaam then. You know, they, they were in the, they went at the, I can't remember, okay? It was Cain and Balaam and, and uh, gainsaying of Korah, okay? I, okay, they uh, it's they went in the way of Cain. They ran after the gain, saying, and they perished in any way uh, in the uh, uh, the doctrine of Balaam, whatever. Here it's a doctrine, and what it is is they Balaam taught Balak, he was the king of Edom, to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel. It tells us everything we need to know right here, so we don't have to go back to Numbers, and we don't have to go back to Jude. This is what Balaam did. He taught. He put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things, sacrifice idols, and commit fornication. How do you do that? Because Balaam, Balak, I mean, hired Balaam to curse the children of Israel. He says, I can't do it. If God doesn't curse them, I can't curse them. So he couldn't get all the money that Balak wanted to give him for cursing the children of Israel. So instead he said, well, we can't curse them, but you can get them out from under God's blessing by having them be unfaithful. Well, what do you want me to do? Well, get your pretty women there and have them, you know, flirt with and sleep with the, 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 the men of Israel, which was more than just, just sex sin. It was eating things, sacrificing unto idols, and to commit fornication. Why does God so not want us to marry outside the faith? He doesn't care if we marry Martians who are committed to Jesus Christ, and I'm not that I think people live on Mars. He, he doesn't put any restriction. Make sure it's somebody who's born the opposite gender of you. That's what Scripture says all the way through. Again, I'm not picking on I'm just saying this is what Scripture says. And they have to be in the faith. Those are the two. And then, is there an age restriction? No. Common sense will tell you that, you know, you shouldn't have two-year-olds married. I mean... But, I mean, is there an age restriction? Can you marry somebody who's very much older or very much younger than you? Yeah? Could they be different ethnicities or colors? Yeah? Yeah. Can they be different faith? No. No. Why? Because God knows something that I don't think we know. If, if, if somebody come up here and I, I was trying to pull them up to this platform and they were trying to pull me down, all things being equal, they have a better chance of pulling me down than me pulling them up. Uh, even somebody who is, you give me a tough junior high girl and she might even, what is that, 14 inches? I can pull somebody right up. That's not a problem at all. They have gravity on this side. And you say, well, Adam, your analogy doesn't work because gravity isn't what we're looking at. No. What we're looking at is the flesh. So I'm living a righteous life and somebody's living an unrighteous life. And I'm trying to pull them up to the righteous and they're trying to pull me down to unrighteous. 
We're not worrying about gravity. We're worrying about the flesh. And I'd rather worry about gravity a thousand times over. It's a lot easier. And if you don't understand the truth of what I just said, you don't understand the flesh. You know nothing about the flesh. You're probably sitting there thinking you're a good person. Just, scripture is, thinks that's ridiculous, that concept. The heart is desperately wicked. It's deceitful above all else. Who can know it? Flesh put to death the deeds of the flesh, Scripture tells us. Be unmerciful. The flesh, man, that's going to mess you up in a hard way. And if you marry somebody whose propensity is to pull you down, I've seen it. I've seen it. I've seen women who are like, really love the Lord and marry some clown who doesn't. And then, you know, they're trying to be faithful and trying to be, and then it, it doesn't work out. And I, I, I made that male and female like the, the, the female was the, the good guy and the, and the guy was the, the bad guy. But it, it, but that's nothing. I mean, I just, that's the first one I, but I've seen guys who have married women, like, you know, man, she's hot. Yeah, so's hell. Get a run. Don't do it. This is bad mojo. And, and just the guys, you know, hormones were more of a pull than is common sense. And it's, it ended up tragically. E- again, equal opportunity. Just don't marry outside the faith. You say, well, I'm married to somebody outside the faith now. Well, if they're content, the Bible says content to live with you, then great. I mean, that's wonderful. I got saved. I, I, okay, me and Suze were both unbelievers and we got married. Is there any rule against that? No. And then I got saved. Gloriously born again saved. And she didn't like that fact at the beginning, but she got saved eventually and they lived happily ever after. And God can always do that. But she didn't kick me out or I think she kind of threatened me early on, but that's beside the point, right? Again, they're living happily ever after. Underline that part, okay? Uh, it's not, it wasn't without uh, problems, but I mean, you know, God's good. So don't, but they have there at that church people who, who teach that, who hold that, you know, like, yeah, don't marry, don't marry, hang out with anybody, marry anybody. It, it's fine. It's, it's not even an issue. It's not a problem. So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. Jesus, for the second time, says in the book of Revelation about this Nicolaitan doctrine. Now it's a doctrine here. In uh, Ephesus, it was just a, what do you say? Um, uh, uh, but this thou hast, thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans. Here it's not deeds anymore. Now it's a doctrine. And I think we talked about last time, that's the idea of like conquering the laity. You know, and we'll talk about Sardis in a few weeks, but Sardis was the church. And you know, f- before Sardis, before the Reformation, there were, we've got to remember Martin Luther was a monk, a Catholic monk. They had monks, things called monks, and friars, and nuns, and priests, and they had bishops, and they had cardinals and they had a pope and all of a sudden none of that and people have accused us of getting rid of the of the clergy we did no such thing we got rid of the laity everyone here is kings and priests to god do i have to check with somebody and genuflect to them and kiss their ring or to have a relationship with god well jesus didn't think so he said i hate that 
I hate that those who would conquer you and be a level between me and my bride. I think this is what Jesus is saying. I, I believe this with my whole heart. I'd hate that too. You're going to be the go-between between me and my bride? I don't think so. I would hate that. People still have this Nicolaitan spirit. But you have those there that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. I hate that. What are you doing? Jesus says, stop it. Repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and I will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. What's the sword of his mouth? The word of God. What's he going to do? He's going to tell you what the scripture says. Will you get cut? Yeah. Yeah. It'll cut you wide open. Been there, done that. Um, it's, it's a good thing though. It's a kind of a healing thing. It's, it's when a, when a, think about like a, a surgeon uses a scalpel on you. It's not because he hates you. He's cutting that cancer out or whatever. And that's what Jesus Christ does with his word. He cuts out that stuff that's, it's cancerous to our soul, to our, to our spiritual life. Will it hurt? Yeah, all the time. <laughs> I mean, yeah, all the time. Uh, it just does. It just because the flesh doesn't go quietly. The the flesh, you know, is puts up and fights and kicks and screams. Uh, I I'll come unto thee quickly means suddenly, and I will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. I'll tell you what the scripture says, and I'm going to show you in such and such a way. You won't be able to gainsay. You won't be able to argue. This is the one who's has the sound of his voice is like the sound of many waters. You try arguing with Niagara Falls. But also it's that clarion trumpet call, it's that call to righteousness, too. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receives it. There's a lot here. This is the last time He's going to say that he has an ear to hear, hear what the Spirit says to the churches, and then the promise to the overcomer is last. One, Ephesus, two, Smyrna, and three, Pergamos, have this stylistic thing. This, this is the order, of, but now from here on in, look at um, Thyatira, and look at... Um, Verse 26, the overcomers, what we would call inside the letter, because in 1, 2, and 3, it's kind of like a postscript. And then it ends with, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. But in verse 17, it's he that hath an ear, let him hear. And then it goes on to say about the overcomer. So it's, and, and the last three, we can go through them all if you want. Smyrna's the same way. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And then, uh, that's the last thing he says, but the overcomer is first. Okay, first, uh, he that hath an ear to hear, overcomer last. Second church, he that hath an ear to hear, overcomer last. Third church, he that hath an ear to hear, overcomer last. And then the last four, it's the promise to the overcomer ends with he that hath an ear to hear. Now, did I say that? Is it, so what's, who cares? Because it, it, it's, it's a stylistic thing, but I'm going to show you when we next week that the last four churches will be here, and it's right from, we don't have to make this up, right from Scripture, these last four churches will be here when Jesus returns.
the Catholic Church. Will the Catholic Church be here when Jesus returns? Yeah. <laughs> Will the Protestant Church be here when Jesus returns? Well, of course. Will the Philadelphia or the Missionary Church be here when Jesus returns? Well, yeah. And will that lukewarm Laodicean putrid church that stands for nothing be here when Jesus returns? I think they're the biggest one. Sorry if I sound judgmental, but yeah. So those last four churches have to do, they'll all be here. So um, when I talk about this, like I talk about the church age, you know, I talk about the Ephesian church, the apostolic church, and then the suffering church, and now the church that marries the world, and then Rome, Continual burning, Thyatira, and then Sardis. You get a name, but it's just a name. You're really dead. And then we look at the Philadelphian church, uh, the church of brotherly love. Really, that's what it means. And then uh, church of Laodicea, where the laity make the decisions. The laity decides. The laity rules. Is that putrid to Jesus? He says so. He's, you make me want to throw up in my mouth. It's, you're disgusting. Uh, will those four churches be around when Jesus Christ turns? Scripture, I'll show you that, and I'll show you that next week, because I'm looking at time, and I want to get through this last bit here. Uh, so anyway, just know that there's a change here. He that hath an ear, uh, and this is the last time, the overcomer will be, it's kind of like a postscript, but this is the last time it happens. The overcomer moves to the letter, and the postscript is more that he hath an ear, let him hear. Okay, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. If you've got an ear to hear this, because it's to you personally. It's not just to some ancient church who lived thousands of years ago. Jesus has something to say to us. Do you have an ear to hear? To him that overcometh. Now the promise to the overcomer, okay? Uh, I promise you when we get through all the promises of the overcomer, we'll go back and we'll look at them all and we'll make some, I think, some dramatic conclusions. To him that overcometh, and there's a different promise every time, I will give to eat of the hidden manna. Manna? What is it? What is, what is manna? I just said, by the way, I just said, what is, what is it? It's kind of a joke, okay? You'll get it on the way home. You'll like it. Look, what is manna? It's the bread that came down from heaven that sustained them in the wilderness. I bet it's got, I bet it's got like vitamin B and C and elderberry and zinc and calcium. I can think it's got, it's, it's, it's all you need to sustain life. What it tastes like? It was sweet. And it was like, it looked like coriander and it had a kind of taste, a good sweet taste to it. If you like sweet, you're all set, right? It was not, oh, am I thinking of something else? Can't think of something else. Manor is manna. Um, would you like that? I'd like that. I would love that. Well, you're going to have it. Your, your overcomer is going to have that. Um, what a blessing. But this is the part. I, I spend much time here. I'll give him a white stone. In the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. White stone. Now, I was listening to a John MacArthur, and he says when you played the ancient games, this stone was like, it was an invitation to the feast, and it would have your name on it. You, you know, won in wrestling or the hurdles or whatever and stuff. And so here's the stone. And here, it's like a personal invitation to the feast that was accompanying the games. It's a good thought. I don't know how I could prove that or disprove it. Someone would say that this is, no, this is acceptance. This is like, you know, when you try to join a secret society now even. There's, not suggesting you should do that. But there's like, you're blackballed. You get a black, nope. 
That's a, that's a, a, against vote. And the white stone is a, a like Jesus selecting you. Yeah, maybe. And some have made that white stone a diamond. Still, to me, I'm not a, I'm not, diamonds aren't a boy's best friend. I'm, if somebody gave me a big diamond, I'd think of the commercial value and what I could get for it. I wouldn't put it in a ring and <laughs> walk around with a big doorknob looking like, I just not, it's not what I want. But this excites me just the same because of the new name written on it. Listen, what's your name? It's the collection of syllables that your parents gave you because they liked the sound of it or they named you after. Uh, my, my name is Edward Adam. Do you ever know that? And I was named after uh, my father's great-grandfather several generations ago. So I never met the guy. I think he was dead before I was born. Uh, my middle name is Adam, which was my dad's name. Uh, he took a lot of grief for it growing up, so my parents didn't want to name me Adam. And I just never identified as Edward. I mean, I never, like, yeah, Edward, what is it? It's not a bad name. It's just not, you know, my my family still calls me Eddie. My mom calls me Eddie. Do I look like an Eddie? <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't know. You, you know, um, you, someone uh, told one of my friends that, I think it was your brother, Oh, his, you know, because they both knew me and he was talking to me. He said, oh, his real name's Edward. Call him Eddie next time you see him. So I was, we were working in Woodland and some guy shouting, hey, Eddie, hey, Eddie, Eddie, hey. And I'm like, what's that guy want? You know, just walking, not talking to me. I finally turned around and it's a guy I knew and he's waving and stuff. And I said, oh, guess who learned a new trick? And if you call, <laughs> you call me Eddie, it's not insulting. It's, I, I, don't, I don't care. I just not, you know, just not, you know. Uh, when I was a little guy, it was little Adam, because after my dad, but when I outgrew him, the little went away. You can call me little Adam, too, and just whatever. Whatever, call me anything you want, but that's the, that's the name, Edward Adams, my parents gave me. What is the name God gave me? You say, what, what do you mean, what's the name God gave you? Think about Moses. The Egyptian princess found him in the water, and she called him Moses. That wasn't even the name that his parents gave him. We don't know his, his Jewish name. More important than that, what's the name that God gave him? You know, nobody yet has ever asked me, hey, which I, you know, I'm, I'm having a baby. What should I name my son? What should I name my daughter? Nobody asked me. They never do. I offer solutions. Usually I'm reading something. Oh, Shephatiah, anyone pregnant? That's a good name for a little boy, Shephatiah. You know, I'll be reading, you know, something like that. Um, nobody ever asked me why, because they're not my children. Oh, naming something shows ownership. Except if you have a Jeep and your your grandson names it Toby, you just that's the name because it doesn't matter if he's making the payments or not. It's Toby, so so I, I drive Toby the Jeep. Great. But you own something, you get a chance to name you. You own a, a you. You have a child, you get a chance to name that. What is God? Do you pray? I don't know if people do that. Maybe some do. Maybe some do. We never really did. We just, I want to name Micah, Micah 6-8, with, spell it with numbers, <laughs> 6 colon 8. And she said, that ain't happening. Uh, so we named him Noah David. Um, uh, Micah, Micah David, I mean. Did I say, did I said, yeah, no. We named him Micah David, um, which names we both like. Um, so we, we name. What is God name? 
Is that important? Is that, is, that, is that important to you? God wanted to name me John instead of Adam. Is that like super uber important? Well, John means grace. Is that what he wanted to call me? Adam means man. <laughs> That's about a vanilla name as you can have, you know. <laughs> uh, but but you've got to remember something. You just got to remember this. I think this is really important. All names in Scripture mean something, and I've talked. We've talked about this at length here. You know, the name Effie's Demon. That's where uh, David, David beloved, uh, defeated Goliath. What does Goliath mean? I have no idea. Big, tall, scary guy. I, I don't know what Goliath means. But he was. It was an Effie's Demon. What does that mean? Border of blood. Is that interesting? I think it's fascinating. The, the, the name uh, Pergamos means uh, pervert marriage or wrong marriage. Is that important? I think so. Uh, Ephesus means darling. Remember the church that left its first love? All these names mean something and they have something to do with something. Uh, God names things and it's important the way that things are named. And God names people. He says, you're going to call him this name. You're going to call him this name. The angel comes to Mary. Uh, call him Jesus. He didn't speak Greek to Mary. He was said, call him Jehoshua. Salvation. Because he's going to save his people from their sins. Names mean something. They always mean something. And it has to do with your purpose. When God names something, he calls it this because it it has to do with, what is your purpose? Why were you created? People go off and try to find themselves. I, listen, I totally get that. You're like, why am I? What's, what am I all about? What did, why did God make me? What, what does he want me to do? What is the whole, hey, 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 it's all in your name. That's the whole thing. You don't get this stone with your name on it eternally you're going to say, what was that all about? Why was I created? Why was I even formed? What was I supposed to do? What was, did I come close? Did I do it? Did I, did I, I, eternally you're going to be wondering, did I miss the mark? Did I, did I do it or not? The stone says, this is your name. This is what I've called you. This is why I created you. This is so important to me. Listen, I only get one shot at this whole thing. What's it all about? Make a lot of money, have really groovy vacations, drive a fast car, live in a big house. That's the whole thing. Really? That sounds like a silly reason for I mean, it's axiomatic. Money doesn't make you happy. We've all figured that out by now, hopefully, right? What, why did you make me, God? Hey, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you. You're going to get to heaven, I'm going to give you a stone. And it's going to have your new name, the name I called you, the name I wrote down, the name what I, why I made you to be who you are. I, I have an idea it's going to say something like rabbi or some teacher. It's what I enjoy doing the most. It's what I think he's called me to do. Even when I'm teaching stuff that isn't even Bible stuff, I really enjoy instructing and teaching. I, I just really do. Is that it? Boy, if it's not, I think I missed my mark. But we'll find out. We'll find out together. Those of us who are overcomers. What does it mean to be an overcomer? Ah, 
It's for another time. We can't get there now. Our time spent. But you're not knowing Jesus Christ. No chance to know why He made you. And that I I can't I can't live like eternally unreconciled. This is a big thing for me. I hope it's a big thing for you. Let's stand. Let's pray and let's go out of here praising our Lord. So, Lord, we don't want to be have the doctor of the Nicolaitans. We don't want to be Balaam types. We want to be faithful. We want to come to that place where we get to eat of the hidden manna and we get that that white stone with our new name on it that just you and me know. You and us know. We look forward to that. Now, may the Lord bless thee and keep thee. Lord, make His face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up His countenance upon thee and give thee peace. Amen.